Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here, you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Her. And today we're going to do something, uh, talk about something that's not so medical, but uh, more along the lines of something that a lot of us can relate to as moms. Um, So we have a really interesting guest that's going to talk about being the mom to a child that has a, a medical issue, but who's also a doctor. So she's been on kind of both sides of the the issue. So welcome, Dr. Chandani Dejour. Did I say that correctly? Uh, Chandani Dejour, but yep. Okay. All right. Well, before we get into um, the topic, can you just give everybody a little bit about your background and education and what, what you're doing now as far as uh, your job in medicine? Uh, yeah, so uh, um, I'm a board-certified pediatrician who cares for sick newborns in the neonatal intensive care unit. Um, I care for healthy newborns in the well baby nursery. I see children as part of an outpatient clinic. Um, I see sick children that are admitted to the hospital on the acute care floors. And then I also attend high-risk deliveries in which newborns might need resuscitation or help at birth. Um, I did all my training and education in Chicago and then have worked a little bit all over the place, including the East Coast and D.C., and now I'm on the West Coast. Um, I actually work part-time in Northern California and part-time in Southern California and live in San Diego with my family. Yeah, and what is your background as your family? How long have you been a mom? So I have two boys, uh, uh, almost two-year-old and a four-year-old, and then my unicorn husband, as I call him. um, We've been married eight years last week. Oh, happy anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I don't deliver babies anymore. I gave that up about 11 years ago, but, uh, and in my specialty is OBGYN, It's it's a generally happy specialty. Um, most of the time it's, uh, it's kind of uncomplicated and very, very, very happy. We're not dealing with in general sick patients and, and kind of, uh, unanticipated outcomes. And, and I would imagine in in your specialty, you see a little bit of both as well. You see the, the uncomplicated deliveries, but you're also taking care of a, a lot of newborns, who have some serious medical issues. Yes. And I, I think I, for me personally, I think I span the spectrum of super healthy to super sick. Um, and I, I guess I would say I'm there for parents on the best day of their life and I'm there for parents on the worst day of their life. Yeah. Would you say that most of the patients that or the patients that you're seeing are expecting a complicated kind of course with their newborn or is a lot of it unexpected? 
It really depends. So I work at a hospital that sees a lot of high-risk mothers. And so by nature, we do see some rarer things or more complicated pregnancies. And those moms are able to meet with neonatologists ahead of time to kind of understand or um, learn what they might expect after delivery. But we still get plenty of moms that are expecting a healthy baby and it doesn't turn out that way. Yeah. When and which of your child has has some medical issues that you've had to navigate the two year old or the four year old, the four year old. So my four, my older son, um, who just turned four, has a super rare heart condition um, that makes him medically complex um, in that. He has ongoing specialized medical care for his condition, um, I think there, there's lots of different ways to say it. Some people call it special needs. Um, but this is primarily medical, so there can be some overlap, but to try to make it really specific, um, he requires ongoing specialized medical care. So was this something that you knew was coming when you were pregnant or was it diagnosed after birth? Um, no. So we were expect my guess, we're not sure, but we'll, he probably had this condition since birth. My pregnancy was largely uncomplicated except for him being IUGR. Um, so he was small. Um, but we see a lot of smaller babies and I'm South Asian and in general, some of our genetics lend itself to being small. So he wasn't so small. Um, but there was that, that was something they were keeping an eye on, but he was growing appropriately kind of, um, at, at like about the 10th percentile. Um, but he was actually diagnosed around age two um, because he just, um, he actually at one of his well child checks had a murmur. So his pediatrician sent us to a cardiologist and they did an ultrasound of his heart, which is when they discovered um, um, this condition. So. And so how was that for you? I know, you know, I have three children of my own and you certainly always think like, oh, what if something happens? But, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself, think, okay, but it's not going to happen to me. I know it's a possibility, but it's not going to happen to me. So how was it when you, for you and even your um, husband of when you were given a diagnosis of, of a, a kind of a long-term medical problem for your child? Yeah, I mean, short version, it was pretty awful. But um, the the complicating factor was he, he initially had an ultrasound that looked like he had a simple cardiac condition that a lot of people have that resolves that, yes, you monitor, but it goes away on it. So something, like something along those lines, like it doesn't cause any problems and, and you grow out of it. So it was like, okay, well, he has this thing. We'll watch it. We know it'll be fine. And then as we were watching it, it actually turned out to be something else. And I think that's when it really hit us. Um, it also, it, it was un, so unexpected because it wasn't the trajectory we were expecting, knowing he had a, a heart condition. Um, and it was, it was, it was July, 2020. So I was a frontline worker still working. Oh, I was five months pregnant with my second. We actually went in to see if like, if it, like I said, it's a condition that can resolve on its own. So our thought was, hey, maybe it's resolved. We never have to see a cardiologist again. We'll be done with all this and go all on our merry way. And it, really, it turned out we're going to have to see a cardiologist for the rest of his life. Um, and so it was just, it was every, it was like being hit by a train, right? Like everything, COVID's happening, we're pregnant, we're expecting good news, but then we get the worst news possible. And you're just, I was, I mean, it was, 
I didn't even know how to process it at the time. So this is obviously cardiology is not your primary specialty. What did you do as a doctor as far as, you know, I would think most patients go to Dr. Google and try to research as much as possible. Obviously, as a physician, you can take it to a higher level of research. I'm just curious, as it, which I've obviously done as I've had diagnoses or family members of diagnoses of you can speak to your family members, doctors at a different level and, and do research at a different level. Did you do anything different than, you know, somebody who's not in medicine would do when they have a family member or a child with a medical condition? I did. And I think that's the piece um, of just being a physician and a mom. Um, that's actually really important to me. So people, I, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, just be the mom, don't be the pediatrician or don't be the physician. And it's like, it's almost like, well, you know, it's not like my left arm's a mom and the right arm is a pediatrician. And then somewhere along the way, I stop using one and the other. But what I actually found is that it just it makes me the best person to advocate for my son. So absolutely, I went to like medical journals, medical organizations. I have access to resources that um, and articles that probably the lay person doesn't. And I'm probably better equipped to interpret these articles, including outcomes and treatments and prognosis. Now, he does have a super rare condition, so I can't say I knew intelligently about all these things, but I also was and, and and everybody has been super supportive, but I was able to get a second opinion quite quickly. Um, and his doctors even facilitated that. Um, we, because there is, and my husband is also a physician by training, because we have this underlying medical knowledge of basic, you know, cardiac anatomy, physiology, the level of discussion that was being had with the doctors, with the cardiologists was also a little higher level and more direct like it wasn't so much information we had to process of just how does the heart even work right we already had that piece and we were able to kind of get to a more a higher level of discussion sooner because any like i have these discussions in the NICU of like parents just are trying to process the most fundamental of information before you can even get to like hey there's more we need to talk about and it's it's so much and it's overwhelming but i felt and it still was overwhelming don't get me wrong um but i felt that I started the uh, hit the ground running a little bit. How did the doctors take it with you and your husband having that level of knowledge? Was it did they get annoyed were that you were trying to be a cardiologist or was it, you know, okay, this is so helpful of we can talk at a different level? I, w- I will say so we are really happy with his team and we 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 have seen a lot of people um I'm, I don't know <laughs> what they say behind my back I, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm the annoying parent maybe I'm the difficult parent but I do think it also I'm they don't have to convince me some of the things they're doing that they might have to to other parents like the IV no problem the like like we have to get these meds in him. I will find a way to get these meds in him. I don't have to, I'm not negotiating with them. Like, do we have to do this? Do we have to do X? There's things that I do negotiate. Like, are we sure we have to do X, Y, Z? But it's not everything. Um, so I do think some of that makes their life easier. Um, I also think that I am able to convince them. Um, so I, I don't like being in the hospital. Like, we do better at home. Um, and if there's things that are borderline, I'm, I'm able to, I think, better convey that we will be okay at home and I'll bring them back if there's the first sign of anything that isn't going well. 
Um, and I think there's a level of trust that's built in of like, okay, right. She, she'll, she'll be able to kind of tell the difference of when he needs to be brought back in perhaps more than somebody who isn't medically oriented. So it's a double-edged sword. I think there's, I probably asked some harder questions. Um, I probably asked for more information, um, than some other parents might. Um, but then I also understand a little bit more of what they're trying to do. Now, did you have any issues getting, navigating the system and getting in for appointments or getting an official diagnosis? Sometimes it's a little harder with the children because they're, they can't tell you what's going on. And as a mom, you're like, wait, this isn't right. Yeah. So my big, so (laughs) my biggest, um, issue is that this healthcare system is just broken beyond repair and it's not a it's not a physician it's not a person it's just that's just how the system we have in the US and so i actually worked at the at a pretty well renowned a world renowned institution and he happened to get his care and diagnosis there at a center that treats this rare cardiac so some of this was just lucky we happened to be in the right place at the right time so getting in from that from your specific question of like getting in or getting the diagnosis was actually not too difficult but the, the piece that I find so difficult is, so now we have, you know, we have tons of appointments, we see lots of doctors, there's tests, there's imaging, there's procedures, there's different medications, pharmacies, insurance companies. And then, you know, he has an IEP at school because uh, he needs time off to go to y'all, do all this. And it's just, none of these things connect to each other. So like even, f- so when we went in for his ultrasound, which, you know, was supposed to be all dandy and happy, they found something that looked, you know, very unusual, strange and scary. And so it was like, we have to get you into the hospital to diagnose this like ASAP. But like, it was a Friday afternoon, so we couldn't do it on a Saturday. So we hung around till Monday. And then Monday, he wasn't an emergent case. He was an urgent case. And so he almost got canceled. And let me, I mean, you're trying to figure out if your kid is like, honestly dying or not right now cardiologist tells you something is serious enough we need to admit you the second we see you but then there's these logistical challenges of it's not the right date or time and and it turned out okay i I did trust them but you can see as a parent that this is very unnerving and scary and anxiety provoking of just these things you don't have control over and then someone's telling you it's not safe to wait and someone's telling you you're gonna have to wait um to do some of these things and that's the piece that I really have an issue with is that what like people don't talk to each other. It's such a disconnected system. Um, something else that happened to us recently. So he actually needed cardiac surgery um, and we were rescheduled three times for non-clinical reasons. And then the third time it was like everybody. Why knew, were you rescheduled? Like oh, the schedule of the. <laughs> yeah, they scheduled it. It was, it was, there was some protocol, there was some policy stuff, there wasn't, it wasn't clinical reason, let's put it that way. Um, it wasn't like he got sick or, and we had to do it or his, something happened with his condition that, um, that did it. So like the first time he ended up, he ended up getting COVID and the, we could still a little while before his procedure, but the cardiac, the cardiac surgeon and the anesthesiologist disagreed on the best time to do the surgery. So the cardiolo- the cardiac surgeon and I were on board with doing it as planned, which was not immediately. It was still down the road. But the anesthesiologist felt that it would be better to wait. Um, but this is a surgery. I mean, right? It's trying to figure out the level of delay that is acceptable. Um, and it's a risk-benefit analysis on everybody's part. But... Um, well, we didn't get what we wanted. <laughs> so then it got to the second time 
And the second time was actually a date we picked. And then they're like, we have a sooner date. Can we? And, and I say this, it got rescheduled is that we are rearranging our entire lives, right? Like our work lives, our time off, my child care for my other son. And so each time these things happen, our world gets upended, but we do it because it needs to be done. Um, and then the second time we had a, the next date was like way later. We couldn't do it. And that felt not OK, but we accepted it because that's all we had. And then they were like, oh, we can fit you in sooner. So then I was like, awesome, great. We had a cancellation. So then we rescheduled for the third time that was slightly sooner. And then we we actually had to fly to another institution to that. Um, well, actually, we moved. So we flew back to his home institution with him in tow. We did his pre-op. And the morning of his third, so, at, and, you know, at Clint, at his pre-op, I had asked you know, are we good to go tomorrow? We've been rescheduled three times like this, like we need this to happen. And they're like, yeah, everything's good. Everything looks good. The surgeons knew the, you know, the, the nurses knew the whole team knew that we had been rescheduled multiple times. This was not not an elective surgery. It was urgent. It was when we were coming in from out of town and everybody was on board except the person that gave away his bed at 3 a.m. the morning of the procedure and so there was no bed available oh geez <laughs> i mean oh it's my. just these things add up right and you're just like as a doctor you get it right you don't have control you don't have control over the bed situation as a so even like right like no you don't and no. so they're like there's no beds yeah you can't admit your you can't admit your patient so I, I understand that from a physician perspective but i don't from a mom perspective right because i my kid needs surgery so then what I, I, this is the piece where I can do because I'm a physician and I'm well connected and I have resources and I know that's very privileged, but it's my kid and I will do whatever it takes. Um, I tra actually transferred his care for his surgery out of the institution that had known him for two years that knew him in and out to a place that had never seen him before. And I just said, I need this surgery. Can you do it? And I was able to actually email the surgeon because I have a friend that worked there and she gave me his email and then we were able to facilitate it quite quickly and get it done. And it went really well. Um, but it's not the situation I would have thought as ideal for us, you know? Yeah, that sounds uber frustrating. You mentioned uh, that the healthcare system is broken. And if, if anybody's ever listened to any of our podcasts, most doctors that we talk about on the podcast, we talk about myths that have been out there, how our training as a lot of OBGYNs is insufficient, uh, what's covered by insurance. I mean, if you listen to all the podcasts, you'll hear so much frustration um, in medicine or the patients we've had on just express their frustration. So what what is your perspective other than canceled surgeries, which sounds maddening, um, I mean, also as two physicians navigating your schedule and were you pregnant during all of this as well uh yeah. i was like i was pregnant initially the at the time of the surgery no my, my son was like one year about a year old at the time of the surgery yeah. my other son was about a year old so yeah i know we don't have four hours to talk about how the system is broken but just since you mentioned that i'd love your perspective so if i had to pick a piece that i find most frustrating is it's i think it comes down to miscommunication um because there's a lack of or like a lack of accurate information that's shared because the system is so disjointed um like you said there's errors there's delays there's insurance drama there's the prior auths there's the cost of medications and the con like 
you know this, I know this, right? I asked the same questions that the parents been asked 15 times, but there's like being asked the same thing over and over and over and yet still not getting a result that accommodates that <laughs> is frustrating. Um, and I feel it comes down to a fundamental lack of understanding of a patient's personal situation, but also the inability to easily get to that understanding like the the visit the the cardiologist didn't know everything else that was happening there's no easy way for them to know it um and i think that's the piece that gets lost and and one like one of the other things that for my son to just give an example it's it's a small thing but it's a kind of a big thing is that he is impossible to get medications into i'm a pediatrician who counsels parents on how to get meds into their children. And I have tried every trick in the book. So it is incredibly difficult to get my son to take medications. And he's on a bunch and we get it in him. But then when more medications get added, they're just kind of like thrown at him. And I'm just like, I'm like, no, we're going to have to prioritize what has to happen and what can't happen. Like, we're just going to have to live with some side effects because I will not be able to get this medication in. And worse, he'll probably throw it up, which means he'll lose the actual medication he needs. So it's like, but we have to have this conversation every time. Of like, what do you mean you can't get meds in your, you, have you tried this? It's like a 20 minute conversation. I'm like, trust me, I know what I'm saying about this medication. <laughs> I, I get it. I get he, you recommend it, but we're just going to have to do the best we can instead of, we're not going to get perfection here. Um, but it's, it's that kind of, kind of like, you know, like the appointments get rescheduled and canceled. And thankfully I have a portal that helps me um, stay more organized, but just like, you know, making an appointment, it's like, they call you, if you don't pick up, then you call back and leave a message. You can't even, and then they call you back again. You play this phone tag. <laughs> it's just these little things that's like death by a thousand cuts. There's no one egregious thing, but it's exhausting. And it's a full-time job to just do the medical piece of this. Yeah. And you and your husband are working, are you're working full-time? Yeah. Um, we won't even go into like as physicians, we do have a little bit of an advantage when we do have to navigate the healthcare system. But how did you guys do that working full time? Yeah. So, I mean, I, like, I think so. My work was actually pretty understanding when all the when everything happened. And strangely, I was pregnant. So I went on maternity leave shortly after. So a lot of this happened on maternity leave. Um and so I technically, I mean, it's not a vacation, right? But it's it's time that I wasn't actively working, that I was able to find emails and talk to friends and um, friends who are cardiologists and find connections, um, like find, the, we had connections to get to the right people. Um, it just, and a lot of, some of it was luck. And I'm part of a big physician moms group that, you know, is easily, can easily connect you to other people in the um, field. And that's, that's how we did it. It was just like, we cold called or cold emailed people. And, and people are, will, I mean, honestly, other docs are also like more open to, they're, they're willing to help other docs too. So at least that's the vibe I got is that nobody was like, oh my God, I can't believe she just emailed us. And did you, I don't know, do you have a clinic schedule or does your husband have a clinic schedule of you guys are probably canceling patients at the last minute? We are. Yes. And so, and, 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 you know, at first, so I think we can talk a little bit later or now, or just like how to how we manage our own stress. Um, and I used to feel super guilty about, you know, canceling last minute and like, oh, my patients will be so upset mm -hmm. or I have to find even when, like when I'm in the NICU, I work shift work and it's like, oh, I have another time. My colleagues are gonna, I'm gonna have to ask for coverage for another time. And people are helpful, but you know, you, you can 
we're all burnt out, we're all morally injured. And there gets to a point where it's like, oh, another email for coverage. And I have found myself just feeling less guilty about it. I'm doing what I need to do to take care of me and my family, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Um, and that's, I think, the piece that has gotten me to a point that's manageable. Yeah, as as physicians, and I mean, at least prior to COVID, like you would go to work sick, like you would go to work when you didn't feel good, like calling off work as a physician for whatever reason is like, I just we just don't do it. It's funny because once I started, I, I, I had never asked for coverage or support that in that way before, because yes, you just sucked it up and you went to work. And I remember in my eight, I think eight years practicing before my son was diagnosed, I think I had four days where I didn't called in sick or didn't work for whatever, like a funeral, I think a couple sick days, and then like uh, some other personal thing. So four days in seven, seven or eight years right. I had taken off. And then since he was diagnosed, I mean, I, I've, I've asked for so much coverage. I mean, I can't even, <laughs> and people, I mean, I pay it back, right? It's not, it's not that I'm just getting time off, but I just think of like, it's just a different situation we're in and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Can you touch on how you and your husband coped with, that's a lot of stress, working full time as a physician, being pregnant and having a child with a medical issue. How do you, how do you keep it all together? Yeah. wine no just kidding <laughs> sometimes that helps um, that helps um but in general um like i said it took a little time to get there but i'm slowly getting to it and i think i'm finding a support system that agrees or is in alignment with how i think um and it's a little bit of um finding time which is easier said than done um to i guess like marie condo my life like like, does this give me joy in terms of like a work perspective? So I'm able to like say no um, to things and then say yes to the things I need or that I want. So the little thing, just from like a personal perspective, I get my nails done. Um, like once I got vaccinated, um, watching a movie, I'm a huge fan of lump day, which I used to think was like this lazy thing to do. But lump day is like my day I sit on the couch like a lump and do absolutely nothing nothing <laughs> read a book watch tv i don't care i, I turn my brain off but like i like that i've never heard that term lump day and people used to say oh my like i used to say like doing nothing that's a bad thing like no it's not it's an active like it's actually an active attempt to do nothing um in a, in a world where we're constantly doing something i have found a couple of fun podcasts to read i've found yeah what do you do with your kids on lump day Oh, they go to school. I send them to school. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I don't feel guilty about it. Like, oh, I'm at home. I should keep them home. Nope. Go to school. Daycare. Bye. Um, we we spend plenty of, plenty of time together as a family as well. Um, but I have found that sometimes I need a me day. Um, I have, like I said, I found a couple of podcasts that I like listening to for fun. Um, I like, I restarted getting into books for fun. Um, and then when the ki my kids are little, so when they go to bed, like my husband and I just sit on the couch and watch it, like either cuddle or talk or find time to kind of keep our marriage going. Um, we don't like occasionally we'll do some work, but typically we don't. Um, um, and then I've, I found a cheap massage place nearby that I <laughs> used to. How do you not get angry with the broken healthcare system? And why is this happening to me? And how do you guys not just be angry at everybody you come in contact with? Yeah, and 
I, I think there are times where I am angry and frustrated. And I think what I have found, and the surgery thing was a big, big piece, a big time that that didn't go well. But in general, I have found that it just, it's consuming and not productive. And so I don't ignore it. I think it's just, I accept that there is a room for anger, there is room for frustration, room for sadness amongst all of this, but that it can't take up all our energy, that it has to be a small thing in our world of overall joy. Um, again, easier said than done, um, but it's more of, sorry, my husband just peeked in. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Um, I think it's more compartmentalizing it or putting in a place where it's it's not the prominent feature of our life. Yeah. You know, that nowadays being a physician, I think in every aspect of medicine is real it's it's always been stressful, but after COVID, like things have really changed. I don't know if you've noticed it in your practice, but I feel like sometimes people are just more demanding, angrier. Um, it, it's just been harder. Also like staff shortages. I don't know if you have that where you work. Um, it's not as easy being as a physician, being a physician in 2022 as it was in 2019. Would you agree to that in California? Yep. Um, and we even had a nursing strike that, that in the middle of it. So it's been stressful, but I think everybody is stressed, right? I think it's the physicians are, the patients are, and I do feel that some patients have this like more entitled um, need sometimes. But I've yes. also found people to some like others to be much more understanding of when I need to change my schedule because they need to change their schedule too, right? Just I last like my kids' school closed because there was a COVID exposure, and and I just had to you know not show up to work, <laughs> cancel some clinics, and. And like people were upset, but then people were like, wait, that happens to me too. Like next week, yeah. my kid's going to come home from school and not be able to go. So there, it's, it, I'd say it's both sides. I've seen a lot of entitlement of I need this right now, but also like you guys have been through a lot and I'm, I get it too. Yeah. On the flip side, there are, there are some perks, like you were able to email doctors and text people and Facebook message and so for somebody that doesn't have those connections, what, what would be your advice to a, a mom that is just faced with a kind of a serious diagnosis for a child? Like uh, other than that initial grief and possibly anger of, okay, when you're like ready to get to business, like, okay, what do you do? How do you navigate this system, this complex system? Complex system, right. So I think the... The biggest piece of advice I can give um, is, is you just have to, I mean, you have to get your shit together. You have to get your stuff together. Um, you have to be organized. And because nobody is going to be able to do this for you because people just aren't talking to each other. So I, from like a, for somebody who's going to have a complex condition over a longer period of time, I say, get a binder and start filling it with every, all the information you have. 
and then just keep that with you so that if you ever have to refer, so you have all this information that you may have to refer to, that's including labs, tests, any visit, even your pediatrician visits, your shot records, like all these things just need to be in one place. And I say, honestly, get, like see if you can get your medical records every six months if you're getting medical care frequently so that all of that is updated. So you just have that. Then I say the organization needs to come to like appointments and visits. And so who do I need to see? When do I need to see them? What, what's the in prioritizing? What's the urgency of seeing them? And then when you get, I think the biggest piece is when you get to clinic or hospital or you talk to the doctors or the nurses, have questions ready for them. So whatever your concerns are, whatever your questions are, prioritize them, but have them ready so that you're able, even if the visit is shortened for some reason, or you go off on a tangent, you get your most important things answered because then that'll give you some comfort with the anxiety that you're feeling or the stress. Those things are probably the most stressful. Number one, two, three, whatever those are, get those resolved. And then always leave um, with a number in your hand. Like, who do I call if I have a question about medications? Who do I call if I have a question about his clinical status? Who do I call and how do I get a hold of them? What if it's after hours? What if it's overnight? What if I run out of medications? Who do I call? And I think all those things need to be in place. And I, 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 I like, I'm on a Facebook group of non-medical people and moms frequently are scared. Moms or parents are frequently frightened to ask for a second opinion most doctors are open and even willing to facilitate it. And we're, I feel most of us are willing to acknowledge that we don't know everything. And it's just getting off this fear of just, I'm not sure if I should ask this or not. Ask it and what's the worst that could happen? They say no. Um, and so if you don't have these back back alleys, back words, um, sorry, back doors to other um Met other physicians like I do or institutions, your physician team should be able to help you. And if not, your pediatrician will. Some of the big children's hospitals also on their website just have a tab that says, if you want a second opinion, click here. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can even, if you feel like your team isn't supportive, you can even bypass that. Now it is expensive to do it your own route, but it's doable. Um, and so I, and wherever you live, find out who in like find out the big names in your area like who are the cardiologists and who are the institutions that have this type of care cardiology gi ob and how and then what are their content everything's available online now some sort of contact information is even if it's not their direct email and they're usually pretty responsive but it, it'll take longer than it took me yeah i think your point about a second opinion is is really good i I think if you're a upstanding doctor, you're never going to be offended when somebody tells you, you know, this sounds great, but I'm just going to get another opinion. Perfect. Like that, that's never going to hurt my feelings. There's plenty of patience for doctors. What about doing research? Um, obviously, you did a lot of research and most most parents are like, OK, I'm going to do my own research. But how does somebody that's not in the medical field or what would you advise of how do you find out more information so you know what they're talking about when you don't have a medical degree? Yeah. So I would actually say for especially complex diseases, not simple things, stay off of Google. Google is not your friend. Um, you can ask your team for specific resources that are relevant to your to you or your child. But the other thing that I find more helpful is that there are associations for almost every disease out there. Um, these are like professional organizations that are um, that have very 
that'll have very factual information and helpful information. So it includes, it typically includes resources for clinicians, it includes resources for parents. And then through those resources, I think you can find not only more information, there's usually support groups of other people going through this, what you are, and there's ways to connect you to that. Um, there's plenty of people that do like monthly support groups, like over the phone or over social media. Um, there's all these associations out there. So there, you know, like there's um, uh, a, every, I mean, there's, you know, a cystic fibrosis foundation, like all these foundations have resources that have been much more vetted than Google. Yeah. And they're, they are targeted to patients. Um, and so I would go down those routes. You can always search for journal articles, which is what we typically do, but it's not, unless you have a medical background, it's really hard to interpret those and understand what, what it's saying. So I would actually stay away from those as well. Um, but there, we have so much information on a lot of diseases right now that you can find support. And everybody's on social media. So like, you know, cystic fibrosis, my son doesn't have cystic fibrosis, but th that foundation is on Twitter and it's on Facebook and it's on um, Instagram. I mean, I'm sure it's on all these platforms, LinkedIn, right? So that you can find a way to direct message or connect with somebody to get you to a point where you can get what you need. Yeah, that's great advice. I have one more question and then I'll let you go because I'm sure you're busy. Like just even just somebody that was this, you know, stay at home mom with a, a two and four year old. I called those years. I call those the blurry years of <laughs> my kids are all in high school and one just graduated. And I look back on that. I'm like, sometimes I have a hard time remembering like it was just so blurry. Like, I was always tired. Somebody was always crying or up all night. Like those are hard years. <laughs> Well, it's funny. One of the, when you like, we get screened at the hospital when we go in for COVID symptoms and it's like, do you have fatigue? I was like, yes, yes. I have children. <laughs> I always have fatigue. Yes. Yes. So last question. Um, how has this changed you as far as being a physician? Oh, it is. Um, I mean, I wouldn't wish upon anybody to have a child with a chronic disease or a medical condition or a special needs child. And I, and I keep using these words here, but I, I think this goes for any caregiver who's taking care of somebody else um, in the medical system. So it could be a child, it could be a sibling, it could be a parent. I mean, elder care is even harder because you, you're not the primary person they contact typically. So I, I mean, this is like the medical system is hard for everybody who has to be involved with it. Um, and I think it's made me such a better physician. I'm in the neonatal ICU for a lot of my time. And I used to think I, I understood patients. Like, I get it. I get what they're saying. I, get, I understand them. But I didn't until I had to be on the other side of it of like, this is so much harder than I ever realized for the family, for the parents. And so I, I now I'm much better at identifying what cracks need to be filled specifically for each family and I'm much better equipped to fix them um I'm way more I always thought I wasn't judgmental but I'm even less judgmental like you know we, we said you know like parents who can't come in they're like oh parents our NICU babies are there for a long time and it's always like oh did the parents come in today and it's like oh, they're not coming in, but you know what? They have other kids, they have jobs, they live four hours away. These are all reasons. It's not like they don't love their kid. It's that there are these obstacles in their way of being there. And there's no, you know, there's not a lot of paid family leave. So if your child is in the hospital for four months, you don't get to always get that time off. So I just think not only can I recognize it better, 
I can try to get those resources better because I'm not sure those families know what they have available too. Like we have, we have guest cards to get you physically here. We can arrange, like our social worker helps arrange transportation. Um, and again, we try this, but until you've been on the other side of it, you don't realize like all the different logistical pieces that have to work for you to be able to access the medical system. Yeah, that is great advice. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have have found this so much helpful or so found this so helpful as well as just kind of refreshing that it's it's not the end of the world there's still a lot of joy to be had despite the frustrations and and setbacks correct we're we're a very happy family um you know there's some there's some <laughs> there is room for sorrow and sadness and anger but again we we try to compartmentalize that and realize we we try to see the big picture right where does this land in the big picture and carrying this with us is not an important part of that what's more important is the time we spend together well thank you so much for being so open and sharing your story we all really appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of healthy her you can find us on instagram facebook and the web go to www dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.